So, how many people are ready for the word today? I want to teach you just a, a, a little trick, a little tactic, Bob, before we get started this morning, how to approach your Bible, the Word, in a way where you just get so much more out of it when you read and study this thing. So if you have your Bible, just open it up anywhere. doesn't really matter where. Just anywhere in your Bible, open it up. Just kind of look down at it. And when it's time to read, you just go like this. <laughs> And you just get so much more out of it that way. <laughs> because you're ready to feast on it. You know? I'm being real here. I mean, I don't really do that. But I mean, you know, you come at it and you just, you don't come and say, eh, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm kind of hungry today. I, I could, I'm not really that hungry, but I may have a little something. I mean, you might approach some meals that way. You don't approach this banquet that way, baby. You come in with an appetite ready to feast on this thing every time you sit down and open it up. So I'm just excited. We're going to actually open up our reading today. Our text that we're going to begin with is in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And Jesus is finishing up. He's wrapping up what is what I consider to be the greatest sermon ever preached. The greatest sermon ever, ever preached. It's the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew, and Jesus has just went through, and I mean, he's basically just nailed every possible subject that you can think of to nail with authoritative teaching, life-giving words, and the people are spread out all over this little valley and all over this hillside. In fact, when we were in Israel, we got to go to the location where this happened uh, called the Mount of Beatitudes, and it's really neat because the hills, they kind of almost forms like a little bit of a, a horseshoe, if you will. Um, so there's like these mountains, these hills, and it just goes in a, a U-shape, and then it faces the Sea of Galilee. So it just kind of comes right up to the edge of the seashore. And one of the things that they said when we were over there talking to some of the experts in the area, they said that acoustic engineers, people have kind of surveyed the ground and everything, and they've said that when Jesus was speaking, the way that the sound would have vibrated and kind of traveled and moved because of the terrain, how it was shaped, he could have really been standing almost anywhere on the higher side of these hillsides, and his voice would have just carried through this entire valley. We know there were thousands of people that were there, you know, listening to him. And that really solved an important question, because I had always wondered, did he use a hands-free mic or was it a headset? You know, I'd never known because I wanted to model myself after Jesus, but he didn't need any of that, because God takes care of every last little detail, doesn't he? I mean, it's amazing. I think sometimes I appreciate when my eyes just get open to a little detail, because then I see God behind the scenes in the intricacy of things in ways I never even thought of, and I think, my God, he's doing that in my life, too, you know, and he's doing that in your life. You may see evidences of God's hand, and, and I pray you do, and you focus on that. You meditate on those things. But I just want to assure you that our God is up to more things behind the scenes and the intricacies of your life than you probably ever even know. Amen. Hallelujah for that. Amen. So let's read in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, so he's saying my words, the words of Jesus, the words of God. 
Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I liken him to a wise man who builds his house on a rock. And rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and they beat that house, but it did not fall, and it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. Great was its fall. Pray with me one more time, please. Father, in Jesus' name, I just ask that you would speak to us today. Help us to hear what you want us to hear. Open our eyes to see, our ears to hear. God, your truth coming forward in a most powerful way. I ask that you would anoint me in these moments ahead. God, help me to just be your vessel and your instrument. I have no confidence in myself to bring anything life-changing to people. God, it's only by your spirit through me that that can happen. And I yield to you now, and I ask you, God, to use me powerfully in these moments ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. amen. So this is an awesome parable, the parable of the two builders. We have the wise builder and we have the foolish builder. We know that the wise builder is considered wise because he builds his house on strong foundation. The strong foundation is likened to the word of God or the words of Jesus. Every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God that's in the Holy Scriptures is what we approach that way. He says we build our house. Our house is our Life in this situation, the example he's giving us, it's we are all constructing a life one way or another. We're building a life through our days here on this earth. And he's saying that there's two ways to do that. You can do it the wise way, which is building it upon the foundation of this word. And if you do, that when storms come and when things happen and when challenges arise, that that house, your life, will stand strong. The walls, the things that you've put up, and the decisions you've made, and the directions you've went, even though the world may kind of come against you with different circumstances, that life will be held up because it rests on something solid and strong of a foundation of God's Word. But there, are, uh, there is another example of a foolish builder who builds his house on sand, something that's not the Word of God. And when the storms come, it may look nice on the outside. It may have a really pretty coat of paint. It may be aesthetically pleasing to the eyes. But you will see that when trouble happens and when the wind starts to blow, those walls are going to shift and buckle and that structure is going to turn and it's going to crush and it's going to come falling and crumbling down. And I think in our world today, there's a lot of this where there are appearances that people seem to have it all together, seem to have life all figured out, everything's dialed in, it just looks so pretty and nice and neat on the outside, but I just want to assure you that many times that life is really suffering and hurting and at odds on the inside. I know because I've ministered to and talked with so many people where you find out that that's the case. Because they're building their lives on something that can't stand. They're building their lives on something that's not a sure foundation. It's just like sand that's going to shift right beneath their feet whenever trouble comes. 
And Jesus is saying, I'm imploring you, I'm pleading with you, hear my words. Hear the word of God. Obey its sayings. Let it be like nurturing to your soul. And when you do, the life you live and that you build will rest on something that will be solid, that will hold you up during any type of challenge that you go through in your life. That's what the word of God does for us, folks. And this picture of God's word that we see is a, is a, a force that literally should be, I want to just stress should be, because this is not always the case, affecting, permeating, influencing every single part of our lives. There ought to be transformation, victory, strength, blessing happening in every part of our lives where we're called to live. The Bible says that God's power has given us everything that we need for both life and godliness. Now, I think we would all agree and understand that when we read the scriptures and the word of God, that it's our way of meeting Jesus, if we've never met him, that we can see who he is and the gospel can come alive to us and we can find direction, answers to how we inherit eternal life, how we know that we can be in heaven after we leave this world. The answers for godliness and eternity are found in this book. But let me just tell you how good our God is, that the answers that we need for everyday living, for everyday decisions, for the things that may appear practical but are not practical at all in the eyes of God because he's concerned with every hair on your head, that this word right here can bring life, can bring power and transformation into every part of your being and who you are and where you live every single day. Hallelujah. It grieves me when I see God's people, God's children, who I know love him and have given their heart to Jesus, heaven bound, but walking through life day after day after day in a defeated just mindset and manner to where there's no evidence of transformation happening in all these other places. And somewhere along the line, there's some kind of a disconnect that's happening. I know because that's not the picture that we see that God wants to bring to us and for us in our lives. When people get on fire for Jesus, let me tell you the picture that you ought to see. Not only are they born again and they're on fire for God because he's rescued their heart and their soul, but they're starting to improve. Their, their marriages are improving. Their parenting is improving. Their career life is improving. Their finances are improving. All of the things that God has created us to have in our life, he's meant to touch and influence and bring his life-giving nature through his word into those places. I love this about the word of God. And we have to take this in and inhale it if you will, receive it and let it drive all of the things in our life that we are doing. I mean, I've just come to the point in my own walk with the Lord where I, I've realized that if there's anything worth me doing, anything worth investing an ounce of my energy, my time, or my resources into, 
If before I move into anything just flippantly or in my own wisdom, I desperately want to know what God has to say about those things. I don't want to move forward in an area where God hasn't first spoken to me. He hasn't first inspired me divinely with the persuasion of his holy word right here. So that when I move forward into that, I know I'm moving with a force of faith behind me. And that victory is inevitable in whatever it is that I'm pursuing. But if I step out in a direction and go into an area and I think, well, the word of God, you know, that's good for church on Sundays. And that's good when I want to pray and whenever I want to learn about God. But what's that have to do with my job? What's that have to do with where I live? What's that have to do with my relationships? I want to tell you, it has everything to do with those things. The Bible says that in Him we live and move and have our being. God wants to saturate every last little ounce of area in your life with His presence, with His power, and with His joy and His victory. And too many times, we live parts of our life separated out from under this. And that's not how this word works. It's holistic. It's complete. It offers everything that we need. It's not limited or marginalized or compartmentalized to where there's only certain places of our life that it touches and not others. It's meant to be the guiding force in every single thing that we do. Hallelujah. Can anybody give the Lord a praise for that while I take a breath? <laughs> Katie says, sometimes you just need to stop and breathe. <laughs> I'm breathing, babe. And so when we read the Bible, one of the things that we see consistently just coming at us again and again through the scriptures is this concept known as sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. And, and that's really where my heart, I think, today is to, to try to offer, to talk about, to encourage you with, is that there is a, a absolute priority, a place in all of our lives that we need to create, that we need to contend for, that we really want to see ushered in for sound doctrine according to the word of God. Let me explain what that means. Doctrine means instruction. It means teaching that is aligned with God's word accurately. Does that make sense? That's what that means. That means proper teaching that is aligned with and accurately reflecting what the Word of God is saying from beginning to end. Because the word sound, sound doctrine, comes from a Greek word, it's called hygeo, which is where we get our English word hygiene. Now, if you have bad hygiene, chances are the person next to you knows it right now. You may already be getting funny looks. Too bad there's not a lot of open chairs. I'm sorry for you folks that are sitting next to someone. It's bad hygiene. I'm good. So, sound means hygeo. Guys, it means holistic, complete, healthy, and balanced properly. Wow. We are, we are people with 
several different things that God has created us, different makeups, personalities, different things that we're involved in. But this idea of sound doctrine means that it's it's balanced, it's whole, it's fully, uh, it has full efficacy in its ability to nurture every single part of your lives. That's why it's so important that we embrace the teaching of this word from beginning to end. The entire Bible is offering the life-giving words and nourishment that we need. It, it is sometimes uh, situations, even in church teachings, where people, if they're not careful, can kind of slide into this place known as preferential theology, where we just kind of pull bits and pieces certain elements, and then we just focus entirely on that to the neglect of the balance of everything that's there to feast upon. And when we do, we become unbalanced in our teaching, we become unbalanced in our knowledge of the Word and our ability to really have power and victory in every area of our lives that we're called to live. This Word of God is complete and fully effective for everything that we need. And Paul pleads with Timothy. There are three books in the New Testament, epistles, actually. There's 1st, 2nd Timothy, and the book of Titus. These three epistles are known as the pastoral epistles. Of all of the you know, New Testament canon, these three letters are the ones that are considered to be Paul's teaching, exhortation, and writing on what it looks like to, to build and instruct a healthy church, to raise up the body of Christ, and how pastors and leaders and teachers in the body of Christ who have been called to those places are supposed to function in order to promote the health of all the believers overall in their lives. That he's trying to steer them away this sense of being unbalanced or lacking certain parts of sound doctrine in their lives. In fact, that word doctrine that's used is used 21 times. I researched this 21 times in the entire New Testament in the Greek. 16 of them actually come from the pastoral epistles. There's this cry. There's this loud, just intentional focus that Paul goes out of his way to make sure. And when we read these pastoral epistles, it's like, I feel like I'm reading instructions to pastors on how to build healthy churches. Okay? It's, it's right there, and it's as clear as can be. And when Paul is writing these things to Timothy, he's pleading with him over and over again about the importance of sound doctrine. And I want to just go through some things with you today, but just know that my heart is what I'm stressing is we need sound doctrine in our lives. We need anointed truth, teaching, and preaching in our churches and our nation in our day and age desperately so that we can see believers raised up strong and healthy and not unbalanced or neglecting in certain parts of who they are or where God's calling them to be. How many people have you ever, like you work out in a gym, you know, and you go to work out and you see like some of these big bodybuilders, right, and they're, you know, they're super big and thick on like their chest and their shoulders. I mean, they look kind of like this, basically, you know, like right like this. They're huge and all muscular. All right, dead air. Never mind, that was bad. 
Um, but then you look down, and they got like little skinny legs. <laughs> you know, and then there's these fancy little quotes, you know, on Facebook that says, they must have skipped leg day. They're all top-heavy and not weighted properly, right, Amanda? Like, you train people not to do that. That's not, the way you want to, that's not the way you want to build yourself. And so sound doctrine is helping to really bring balance and, and strength into every area of our lives. We're not good here, but not doing good here, you know? And, well, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty nice in this area, but, man, I'm a wreck over here in this area. Something is wrong with that picture, <laughs> Because God didn't die and send his son to die and shed his blood so that you could only be victorious in parts of your life. He did it so that you could live a whole life, that you would have life and that you would have it abundantly, he said. Meaning every area of your life is saturated with this victory and with this abundance. And we need to know what the word says. We need to take in sound doctrine in order for that word to produce faith, which moves into living victoriously in these areas every single day. It's an applicable document to every single part of our lifestyle, not just some. Now listen to what Paul says in, uh, to Timothy over and over again. And I'm just going to give you several of these examples, but about doctrine and the importance of doctrine. He says you need to be concerned about sound doctrine. Let me just say, I am concerned about unsound doctrine as well that gets taught throughout churches and places in our land because unsound doctrine can really lead to unhealthy lives and people don't have an ounce of faith to stand on when they come against something that they need the true word of God to be standing upon but they don't have that there because there's been unsound doctrine that's been filtered and permeated into their life and propagated and so he says this in first Timothy uh, chapter 4 he says that we're to be nourished by good doctrine which means that we, there's a, a nourishing that that word does to all of the parts of our body. Just like when you eat healthy food and it's ripe with minerals and nutrients, it gets into your cells and then carries forth in your bloodstream. It goes to all parts of your body. It nourishes your entire body. You all feel the effects of that nourishment. It says, Timothy, you need to be concerned about sound doctrine. You need to be nourished by good doctrine. It says, in fact, don't teach Anything other than sound doctrine which you have heard and which I have preached to you. He says, anything that is contrary to sound doctrine, resist or withdraw yourself from. Now, in order to withdraw yourself from, can I just say this? You first have to recognize that it was unsound to begin with. Yeah. Are you with me? I'll get there in a minute. He says you need to speak only things that are proper for sound doctrine. He says show integrity in your doctrine, meaning be upright, be aligned, be strong in your knowledge of the word. He says that if we're going to rebuke or correct other believers, which we know we are called to do at times, only do that with sound doctrine. He says you are to carefully follow sound doctrine. And listen to this. He says... Timothy, give careful attention. In fact, he says, give yourself entirely to sound doctrine, to reading, exhorting, and to doctrine. You see what Paul is doing, and he's making an appeal to Timothy because Timothy is being called to be a preacher and be a pastor in the church that is exploding. And the need for sound doctrine and good teaching 
that produces knowledge of the word in people's lives is absolutely critical at this place. And there's unsound doctrine popping up everywhere. People taking and deviating and adding little bits and pieces to things. And he's saying, Timothy, you need to give yourself entirely to the preparation and the ability to preach and teach the word of God to his people. Meaning, as a pastor, and I would just say this, I fully believe this with all my heart. My greatest responsibility to the congregation that God seems so fit to privilege me to lead, my greatest responsibility will always be approaching God, hearing his word, understanding his word, and being able to deliver it in such a way where people hear the truth as it's meant to be taught. More than doing a wedding or doing a funeral or being... I mean, I love doing those things. Don't get me wrong. I just want you to understand that like, my greatest responsibility is to reverence, to respect, and to treat with the greatest priority how I approach this word consistently so that when I come, people are getting fed. People must be getting fed in God's churches. And that's one of the greatest tests that you can do when you go to a place is, and I, am I being fed? Is the word of God getting in me week after week after week? Is that teaching sound and solid where I know when I walk away, I didn't just get motivated. Can I tell you something? I'm not interested in motivating you or anybody. I'm not interested in trying to hype you up for a good sensational experience. That is not my aim. My goal is to bring forth, and this thing is motivating, it is powerful, it is exciting, but it's only when the truth gets through to you that there's anything sustainable that's going to go with you out those doors the rest of the week that you're in your life. And I know that, and I'm just, I'm praying every single week now, and have been for time on end, like God, I pray that this Sunday would be the best message I've ever preached in my life. I don't suppose it would be the best message that you've ever heard. I just pray that it's the best message I have ever preached in my life every single week after week after week because the gospel deserves that and God's people require that in order to continue to be brought up strong and live healthy, effective lives over the enemy of their soul in this world that's against them. We need that desperately. He says, give yourself entirely to that, Timothy. He says in... Another place, he says, you must rightly divide the word of truth. I love this statement, rightly divide the word of truth. You know, in the last few hundred years, we were so you know, sophisticated and intelligent and smart. We come up with all these new terms and ideas and stuff. And for the last few hundred years, and it's an important term, I'm not making light of this, but there is a concept that we use in scriptural interpretation you know, pastors and teachers are well aware of this, called exegesis. Exegesis. It comes from two Greek words that are put together. It means to draw out. It means that you properly approach the scriptures and draw out accurately the true meaning of what that text is. And there's several elements that go into doing that. But it's interesting to me because thousands of years before we ever even came up with the word exegesis and how we were to approach the scriptures and accurately interpret that we may teach, Paul says to Timothy, rightly divide the word of truth. Isn't that amazing? He's saying, exegete the scriptures, Timothy, and a few thousand years from now, they're going to figure out that word. No, he didn't say that, actually. 
He said, rightly divide the word of truth, which means accurately approach, interpret, and properly teach the scriptures in a way that brings life, transformational life into people uh, in their lives. He says, in 2 Peter chapter 1, it says that no scripture is given by private interpretation. Okay, what that means is that we do not have the luxury of reading the Bible, picking certain little quotes and words and statements, and then bending it to conform to our desires or our comfort for where we are in our lives. <laughs> Isn't that something? No scripture is of private interpretation. Sometimes people say, well, what do you think? Well, I, you know, it doesn't really matter what I think. It matters what it means. <laughs> it matters what is the truth. That's what it really means. And it says that if we, if we try to bend that, if we try to twist that, then we start to pervert the gospel, and we start to get into a place where we, which Paul warns us of. He says, beware of doctrines of men. Whoa, beware of doctrines of men. And it was happening all over the place. As the church was getting brought up strong, there was all this false teaching that was also happening as well. It's never changed. That's never going to change. Okay? And he says that you need to beware of the doctrines of men because, listen to this, this is interesting. Here's what happens when you, when you buy into doctrines of men that's not truth-inspired. It's not Holy Spirit-persuaded. It says when you do, you're cheated. It says it, it's of no value it leaves you empty in your time of need. You're cheated. That's what a doctrine of man will do for you. Wisdom of man can do nothing for your spirit. Could do nothing for your spirit. But the wisdom of God, every last breath will nurture your spirit. It will grow you strong. It will build you up in your faith. Every single word. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Which means God breathed. Every last word in there is the breath of God. And when you inhale it, you literally take in the life-giving source of God into your spirit. And it affects every part of who you are. Glory to God. Hallelujah for that. Is there anybody alive out there today? We don't have the luxury of bending and twisting scripture to suit our objectives or our comfort. In fact, the word of God is not always comfortable to hear. Let me say that. You want to know a good test? Are you prepared to hear things that challenge you and force you to change certain lifestyles and behaviors? Because the word of God exhorts, but it also conflicts, it rebukes, it corrects. And we need that in our lives. And if we only open ourselves up to the prior and we shut ourselves down to the latter, we'll never become all that God's created us to be. We'll never be healthy and strong the way he desires for us to be in our life. We must be open to hearing the hard things, just like we are the things that really get us excited and, and make us want to jump and leap. Sometimes there's something that's getting said. doesn't cause you to want to jump out of your chair, but it pierces you in the heart, and you know you need to hear it. And you open yourself up to receive that. And that will bring transformation in your life just in a different kind of way. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. So we can't just do what we want to do to fit our own objectives. That'd be like saying somebody comes along and they're, you know, spouting off and you just, boom, just crack them right against the side of the face. You say, I'm tired here. And they say, well, what do you, well, it says in Proverbs that a fool opens his mouth and it should come to blows. 
I'm pretty sure I read that properly. <laughs> oh, man. So God, and this is the thing that we can trust and that we know, is that God actually does have a plan to put people in places to teach, to preach, and to bring the word of God. It says in Ephesians chapter 4 that God himself appoints evangelists, teachers, prophets, and apostles, and evangelists. But the point is that God himself is the one who appoints. Let me just be clear with you. I'm not under any illusion of this, okay? I'm not misguided in this fact. When we are here on Sundays and I'm preaching the word of God to you, there's nothing about me that can change your life. I have no ability to change your life. There is nothing in me that can do that. But the word of God can. So when you're hearing the word of God and you're receiving that life-giving impartation, I'm just a vessel. The Holy Spirit is doing the transformative work in your soul. The Bible says in the book of Romans that the Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit in us, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You know, when you do want to shout, when you do want to jump, when you do know that something's happening on the deeper part of you when you're hearing the word of God, it's because you're getting that inward witness on the inside. The Holy Spirit is speaking to your spirit, and he's imparting truth, and he's revealing truth to you in a way that's going to change your life. I'm just some guy up here, but I believe God's called me to this. I believe he's anointed me to this. And because of that, I can't get away from it. I can't go do anything else anymore. This is what God has led me to. But I trust and know that if I ever get away from the fact that he's the one doing this through me, there will be no continued fruit or transformation that's produced in anybody's life from anything that I ever have to say. It's just because of the Holy Spirit working in and through those who he's called. Paul says, I thank my God, Jesus Christ, that he considered me faithful, putting me into the ministry. He said, he's appointed me to be a preacher and an apostle. It was clear that the appointment had came from God. And you know, and I know that it's so important when we're hearing doctrine, when we're hearing teaching, we need to be at a point in our lives where there's enough of this word that's in us that we know when we're hearing the truth and the real thing, and we know when we're hearing a counterfeit. We know when we're hearing a counterfeit. And you and say, well, how do you know that? You get enough of the real thing in you, baby, and you'll know a counterfeit as soon as it shows its face. And you need to withdraw from that. Beware of the doctrines of men. Listen to this. This one, this is one of those like blow you away scriptures. At least it is for me. We'll see if it is for you. If not, just act like it because that was kind of a big deal that I just made. <laughs> 1 Timothy chapter 4. I just talked to you about being aware of doctrines of men. Men bending truth, bending scripture, imposing unnecessary rules, regulations to suit their own agenda that are yokes we're not meant to carry. Okay? Here, listen to this. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, and put that up on the screen. He says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits, get this, and doctrines of demons. Doctrines of demons. Now, I had to research this. I had to dig into this. I had to exegete this, okay? (laughs) Proper interpretive methods. And so, what I found was that 
the word that's used for demons, there's variations of the word, okay? Like most Greek or Hebrew words, there's multifaceted meanings. It's different than the English language. But in this particular case, the word demons, you see that there can be a variation used that means demon-possessed. I mean, somebody actually has a demon in them and they're possessed. It's not the word that's used here. There can be a word that means demon-like or similar to demonic activity. I mean, people are bound up or they're acting a certain way that's more consistent with demonic activity. It's not the word that's used here. The real base root of the word is what's used here, daemon, which means an evil spirit, a fallen angel. That's all it is. It's what it means. It means that there are demonic activities at work where demons are trying to propagate doctrine into the ears of men that blasphemes, perverts, and corrupts the truth of the word of God. And our ear must be attentive to know when we're hearing something that does not flow out of the truth of the word of God that we may close our ear to that. The Bible says in the book of Corinthians that we must take every thought captive. But do you know what it says after that? Listen to this. It says you take a thought captive based on what qualification? That it exalts its name, it exalts itself against the wisdom of God. Wow. We need to be strong and mature. We need to have the word to know when we're hearing something that is attempting to exalt itself against a greater truth that's already in residency in our spirit. And we can reject that by taking that thought captive and pulling that thing down. To take it captive literally means to point at it like this with a spear and to keep it at guard. And the enemy's trying to feed things into your ear. Spiritual activity, it's very real. The spirit realm is more real than this realm. This one's gone. The spirit realm is still going to be there. You understand? Like, it's more real than this. But people sometimes think we're humans having a spiritual experience. Wrong. We are spirits having a human experience, very temporarily, <laughs> okay? And so you've got to be aware that demons, that Satan is going to try to pervert doctrine and, and the wisdom of God in your life. If he can corrupt that and twist it and bend it to make you live according to a false doctrine, a, a broken theology, you know how much damage he can do in your life and in the body of Christ if he's raising churches up to do that? I mean... The word of God is the only thing that we have to go off of. In fact, I'm, I'd be very concerned if we could build the church without it, to tell you the truth. If we could build a following and build a congregation without really having true, good, sound doctrine in the word of God, that would concern me more than anything. But we need to be aware, as Paul said, of the doctrines of men and the doctrine of demons. And I, there's a funny story I wanted to tell you that, thinking about doctrine of demons, and we were at a Red Lobster restaurant last uh, December. So we go out for dinner in between Christmas and, and uh, New Year. My birthday's right in there. You know, it's a holiday. And so <laughs> my sister says, you think it's a holiday? Whatever. Right. <laughs> Sorry you weren't born at a different time of the year. You know, all right. So we go to Red Lobster, and we have this uh, party room in the back, because there's like 40 of us that go, you know. I know. I'm, half of them live in my home. And... Uh, <laughs> So we're, we're at Red Lobster, and we're having dinner, and my son Dax is uh, three, thank you, he's three, and my nephew Ezra, they're like buddies in crime, you know, they run around together, and so they're running around after dinner, and they're circling around all the tables back there in our banquet room, it's like, okay, they need to stretch out, they need a little, you know, we need to let them just kind of get some of their energy out, and so they're just doing this running and running and running, and all of a sudden, 
they both bolt right out of the back room where the banquet area is, and the place is packed. It's Saturday night. There's a line out the door waiting to get in. I mean, it's just, it's packed. And they start running through the restaurant on the main floor. And there's waiters and waitresses like, whoa, you know, like doing this. And people are like looking around and some people are laughing and they're running. Ah, they're having a great old time. <laughs> and so somebody's like, Dax and Ezra just ran out. So I jump up and I head out, you know, because I'm usually the, the parent that does most of that stuff. You know, I, <laughs> I'm kidding. And I'm running out. And then uh, they make the loop, and I, I'm trying to catch them, and they get all the way back in the party room. It's like a big circle. And then they go all the way around, and I'm still chasing them, and they come back out again for a second lap. While I'm getting close, I'm closing in on them. And then finally, I lay hold of them, and I grab them, you know, and I say, boys, get over here. What are you doing? You know, grab them, and I turn around to head back. And when I turn around to head back, my daughter Liza, who's five now, is right behind me, and she was closing in on me. I didn't know that, but she was right behind me. Now, you got to know, with Liza, she is the loudest person in our family. <laughs> I mean, she's got a voice on her. I pray she uses that for, the, for preaching the gospel, man, because they'll hear it with, it'll be like the Beatitudes thing I was talking about. I need a microphone, you know. So Liza comes running around, and I turn around, and I got the boys, and she looks up, she says, Dad, Dad. And I'm like, she says, honey, it's okay, I got him. She's like, no, Dad, you don't understand. Satan made him do it. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Isaac, it's okay. No, 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 damn serious. Satan made him do it. Let's just head back. I mean, people are like, what is going? I mean, it was a heavy situation. All right, I'm done. So. I don't believe that there was a doctrine of demons thing going on at that time, but we do got to know that that is something that Paul is concerned with, and he's telling us that we need to be aware of. How do we combat that? How do we counteract that? Just like anything else, with the right thing. Sound, good doctrine will help us defend us against unsound doctrine. There must be an infilling of the good in order to repel the bad. And that's what he's telling us. And the last thing I would say is that the beautiful part of this is, just like in the parable we started with, the parable of the two builders, like you can trust that the word of God will build your life. It'll build your life better than you could ever build it without it or on your own. The word of God, will, it'll build the church. It'll, it'll help drive every strategy Every idea, every program, every outreach, anything that we do, I've realized that now at a point, I don't need to just go try to come up with some real smart strategy. I need to immerse myself in this word and hear the voice of God speak to me so we know how to move forward in the direction. Because if anything we do has been inspired by the word of God that's been feeding into our soul, then we'll be victorious in that. The word of God will build our lives. We need to trust that. If it's the only thing that can, then why would we fill ourselves with anything else to accomplish that? Why? I mean, there, guys, there have always been philosophers. There have always been people with ideas and theories. You know, they think the earth is flat again. You know that? People think the earth is flat again. Somehow we circle back around to that. There have always, I'm not kidding, check it out, flat earth theory, it's real. Anyway, um, 
There have always been philosophers, always been people with ideas, and that have thought at different times, you know, and people have been amused, have been uh, impressed by these things, but they all fall, they all settle. But can I tell you this? The flower fades, the grass withers, but the word of God, it stands forever. It's the only thing you can build your life on, folks, quite frankly. It's the only thing that will stand the test of time. And Paul says to Timothy, he says, Timothy, above all things, (laughs) preach the word. Just preach the word. If you'll just immerse yourself and give yourself entirely to the word of God and sound doctrine, and you'll preach that word, you'll share that good news, you'll, you know, divinely break it down the right way that you're supposed to and teach it, it'll build the church. God will build it. And he'll build our lives just the same. Because Paul says in a prison cell, he says, you know, I may be in this jail cell. I may have chains on me. And it may be binding me physically in a way where I can't go to be with you like I want to be. I can't be in the places I want to be. You know what he says? One of the most powerful statements to me in all the scripture. He says, but the word of God is not chained. The word of God is never bound. It's never defeated. The enemy never has an upper hand over this thing. The word of God is never chained. And if we will unleash it in our lives, it'll bring victory into everything that we're called to do. Amen. Paul says, and I'll close with this, I'll invite the team back up, in Galatians, he says about preaching and just that point of sometimes the word of God hits us differently. Sometimes it settles on us a little bit differently than other times. I think that's perfectly okay. Sometimes we walk away like, man, that God really dealt with me today. And sometimes we walk away like, man, I got that, and I'm, I'm ready, you know, and go. The word of God can set on us in different ways. What Paul said, he said, in the book of Galatians chapter 1, he says, with his preaching, he's talking about how I can't believe that they've abandoned the scripture and the gospel, and they've reverted to other gospels now and, and all these things. And he said, man, if anybody preaches another doctrine, if even an angel came down and preached a different doctrine, it, let him be called accursed. Is what he said. But he says, well, let me ask you this. Am I here to please men or am I here to please God? So he says, is my preaching, is the aim of my preaching to please men, to tickle their ears, to fancy them? We know in the end times when Jesus is close to returning, it's going to be widespread. Lies from the hell, from the pit of hell and the spirit realm being propagated are going to be widespread all over the earth in the end times. And there's going to be people that it says that churches and people will heap up for themselves false teachers that tickle their ears. They're going to decide that we only want to hear certain things and they're going to reject the entirety of the gospel and of the doctrine. They're going to reject that. And they're going to create a new theology, a new doctrine that's entirely going to be pleasing and satisfying to their ears. Paul says, you can be very aware of that. You can be very, very aware. He says, because for me, it's very simple. I'm not trying to please men. I'm not preaching a word, a gospel, a message that's designed to tickle people's fancies. I'm trying to preach the word of God. 
cuts through the division of joint and marrow. It'll cut through the fog of any situation in your life. Sometimes it may be easy to hear and sometimes it may be hard to hear. But if it's the word of God, then that's what I'm going to preach. And I'm going to preach it from beginning to end. And I'm going to preach it in its entirety. And when I do, I know that God will build his church and he will raise his people up strong. My heart for us today, folks, is that we just have a, a contention for sound doctrine. We just we're going to usher that in in our lives. Be careful. Where you go to get it. I mean, just say, be careful about getting doctrine on the internet. And, and, you know, these got questions or whatever. Like, you just need to be careful where you're getting your doctrine. You need to let the Spirit of God in you be the inward witness that witnesses to your soul. It says, yeah, that's truth. And that's going to be life to your soul. And you can build a life on that, baby. There's faith that you can have to stand on what you just heard right there. And it'll prevail when any storm of this lower world comes against what God's trying to do in your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.